Blue Collar Fitness. What is Blue Collar? Blue Collar is a mindset and attitude, and it's work that you can be proud of. I'm Trevor Powers. I'm Connor Burton. And I'm Josh Sargent. Whether you go to the gym, work at the gym, own the gym, or if you're just a creeper pretending to do curls watching girls on the elliptical, this podcast is for you, even you. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Blue Collar Fitness. Today, we have a special guest. He is a host from the Mind Pump Podcast. Be ready to get your mind pumped because this podcast is a number one fitness podcast with entertainment, information, and fitness tips. And he is a former IFBB pro in men's physique. He has trained over 1,000 clients. He has put out many programs and... Today, we're going to go over the squat and scroll. Our guest today is Adam Schaefer from Mind Pump. You can find Adam on Instagram at Mind Pump Adam and on Facebook at uh, Adam Schaefer. And today, we're going to go over the squat and scroll. So the squat and scroll. What is the uh, what is a squat and scroll? So, you know, it, it's kind of funny how it happened. We were, uh, we were down in Southern California doing just a... Uh, I don't know, like one of our, our tours where we're doing like six or seven different podcasts and we had a live event and we were getting ready for the live events. And I was, I was down in the squatted position and I was like working on my phone and I, I think it was Taylor or Rachel, someone snapped a photo of me and they made like a, like a joke, like, you know, oh, squat and scroll. Right. And I said, yeah, actually, you know, it's something that I try and do. It wasn't something I was trying to make into anything at all. It was just I had been practicing see, sitting in a squatted position all the time uh, in my 90-90, and it's just now that I've gotten to a point where I can sit there comfortably, it's actually a very comfortable position for me to be in. It took a lot of work uh, to get to that point to where that was a comfortable position. It used to be a very awkward position where I'd tip over backwards uh, trying to do it, and once I worked on all the hip mobility and ankle mobility to get down in that seated position, it became a very comfortable position. So. Yeah, I just have a habit now of like, if I'm going to be on my phone and we're somewhere, I'll pop down on the ground and just sit down in that seated position while I do it instead of, you know, rounding my head and shoulders forward or slouching in a chair. And it really wasn't like, I did not intend for it to take off or do anything and posted it. And I think we posted it and hashtagged it squat and scroll. And then it just, it kind of took off. Then we made the GIF uh, around it. And then it's just gone kind of crazy. So yeah, yeah I see it all I, the time. I've seen that all over Instagram and like it's been a really popular gift and it's like hilarious, but it's also, it's really catchy. And I think that that's a good, um, well, the message that you, you Sal and Justin bring on mind pump is like a lot of lifestyle modification. That's a big one for that people should and use. And on that, that same note, I want, I want to ask you, like, was there a moment when you like thought of the, like, uh, you made a video a few weeks ago, I think on mind pump, uh, TV or the mind pump media page about, when you're eating, you don't like to watch videos. You, like you try to be present. Like, uh, did you, did you like discover that recently or? Uh, relatively recently. Like, so about three or four years ago, um, I read a book by Adam Atler called irresistible. And I don't know how long you boys have listened to the show or not, but, uh, the guys used to tease me because I, I talked about the book so much. Like it was a game, it was a game changing <laughs> book for me. Uh, it was every I third did, episode. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like that, right? They were just teasing me. And the, and the truth is that it was just, it was mind blowing for me that I had never looked at tech that way. I mean, we, we celebrate tech so much because of like things like this. I mean, without tech, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now. So that makes it amazing. It makes it incredible for jobs and being able to connect. 
but no one ever really talks about all the unintended consequences that have happened because of social media and because of tech. And that book really goes deep uh, into that. And so it really kind of started uh, back then, like me being worried about, okay, am I getting sucked into, you know, either scrolling on Instagram or sucked into Netflix, binging, watching. And then I started to correlate that with like some of my eating behaviors. I mean, one of the things that we've always done on the show, even though we're trainers, I mean, we're human. I still make poor food choices all the time. And, you know, I, I would catch myself making those choices mm-hmm. when I'm in, in moments where I'm sucked into television, when I'm sucked into a show, I'm binging three episodes and, you know, craving hits. And then you mindlessly walk to the refrigerator and grab whatever's convenient or order something on your phone and have it sent to you right away. And next thing I know, I'm eating something that is not ideal for me. And just simply making the habit of, okay, if we're going to eat, we're going to have dinner at the dinner table, TV goes off, phones go off, and just being present. It's amazing just that in itself, you naturally tend to make better choices. And so, yeah, this was kind of like a, a hack that uh, I fell into just watching my own behaviors and then noticing the same thing has to be happening to my clients and listeners that listen to the podcast that, you know, how often do you sit down and you're mindlessly looking at your phone or on, on watching Netflix and you're just kind of shoveling food uh, into your mouth, not paying attention to your body's natural signals that kind of tell you, hey, you're full or that's enough. And uh, just telling people to stop doing that is, is helped a, a ton of people with like losing weight or just not putting bad weight on from constantly uh, over consuming. I think I probably do the opposite of that when I'm trying to eat more. I'll watch eating challenges, you know, <laughs> try to throw the food in. I, I used to weigh uh, 411 pounds, uh, and that oh, was wow. that was how I first that was how I lost my first 50 pounds was um, basically just stopped watching TV or stopped watching a video and sit at the kitchen table and eat my food and literally just stop when my body told me to. Um, and, and it was something that I just did not even think was a big deal at the time. But now I totally, uh, it, it's one of the most important things I can do. So uh, I, I love that. And I think I read about it just, uh, again, just online, something that you guys were doing. Uh, it came across one day. Um, and so it really has helped and it's made me lose a lot of weight. So we, uh, it definitely works. We, we did this, uh, we hung out with Paul Check. I don't know how familiar you guys are with yeah. Paul Check. Yeah, I listened to him um, on your, on your yeah. podcast. We call, him, we call him Uncle Paul. He's become a really good friend of ours. <laughs> and we linked up like, uh, man, it's been almost four years now, I think, since we first linked up with Paul. And I actually invited him out to, to my place. And he, he drove out with his two wives and had dinner with Katrina and her family and their two wives and, and everybody at the table. And so it was a really interesting mm-hmm. dinner. And he did this thing right before he ate where he looked like he was praying. But I know that Paul's not a religious person, but he was kind of like, closing his eyes and looked like he was in prayer over his food. And he had a really interesting way of, of explaining that because he doesn't, he doesn't think he's praying. He's not praying to a God. He doesn't, he doesn't have a religion that he follows, but he does believe in the practice of stopping for a moment before he consumes his food, becoming completely present and asking himself is, am I ready to receive this food? Is this food ideal for my body? Am I taking care of my, and so he just has a moment of silence, closes his eyes and thinks about that before that. And I just think that it's a a very interesting practice because that, I think that's where a lot of us just get in trouble is we're just constantly distracted with things all day long that it's easy to just kind of transition into, you know, dry. How often have you probably drove and shoveling food at the same time or watching TV or being on your phone and, 
you know, it's amazing just simply stopping all the distractions, becoming completely hyper present in the moment. Uh, it's, it's amazing how many people just make better choices just simply from doing that alone. So yeah, those tips and tricks are, are little hacks that I think that uh, us trainers that have been doing this for a long time of uh, either come across it helping ourselves or, or clients. And, and I know everybody that I've taught that to, have, I've seen major benefit from it. Uh, since we're on the topic of food, I had a, I had a question about diets. Uh, you guys, you guys smash on uh, if it fits your macros all the time, and I love it. And uh, I had a question about, um, so do you think most like p- potentially good diets are ruined as soon as they like throw a label on it, like they put a name on it, and it's just like it's a it's a mainstream thing, like for well, instance, I- paleo and carnivore and keto and whatnot. I mean, well, let's think about it for a second. Like diet in itself is all bullshit and made up. I mean, uh, we are, we're, uh, humans are opportunists. And so for most of our, our, our time on this planet, uh, we ate what we could to survive. It's only been in this last hundred years or so have we had the luxury to say no to certain foods or only eat certain food groups or, you know, follow a certain point system. Like all this stuff is all made up and it's, and it's a, it's a marketing ploy to most people because most of us have such a large individual variance that trying to roll out any sort of a diet or a plan and say, it's this uh, universally good for everybody is just ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I, I, I fell into those traps early on as a young kid of like following the next diet or hearing, oh, this, the new cutting edge science on it. But the longer you're in the space, the more you can unpack a lot of that bullshit. And it's just like, oh, this is just that old diet that's been repackaged another way. I mean, a lot of the things that we even see today um, are recycled from the 70s and the 80s. And they're just, you know, cha- tweaked a little bit and then dressed up a tiny bit. So all of them are bullshit, to be honest with you. And that doesn't mean I don't see like, you know, I don't think paleo is pretty good. I don't think that med- the Mediterranean diets could be pretty good. Like, you know, there's diets out there that I, I think have solid principles behind them. The whole 30, I really like that. Like these all, they, they all have solid principles behind them. But at the end of the day, you really have to figure out what works best for you. And if you live in this world of like, I I have to follow this diet. It really perpetuates the on and off the wagon issue that many people have with eating right. You're either eating really good and really good to most people means I'm following this strict diet or I'm off the wagon. I eat whatever. I don't exercise. Instead of that, you know, learn a little bit more about how foods affect your body specifically and how your body performs on certain foods and what nutrients you're either lacking or have a surplus of figure that out for yourself and then just make a conscious effort to always become better at that. You know, like for example, for many, many years for me, uh, I was, I grossly underconsumed protein uh, instead of following a diet. That's a high protein diet or saying that I got to be on this, this Atkins diet in order for me to hit my protein target. It's just like simply, I need more protein in my diet. So I'm always thinking about that. And it's taken years and years of practice of targeting tar- protein foods first for me to make sure that I hit my targets on a regular basis. So I think if more people approached their, their diet or the way they eat it, that way, I think we'd be in a better place. And for the most part, all diets are bullshit. They're all, they, they've, they've turned it into like a religion where, 
and it's really hard to say that to somebody I know whoever the people that are listening right now I'm, I'm offending for sure somebody right somebody okay. who is we, we always we always do that yeah, yeah, right. dogmatic people. <laughs> yeah I mean there's there's definitely going to be people out there that followed a diet and it was life-changing for them and that, that's amazing but here's the thing though it doesn't stop there that's what even those people need to understand it's like that's great that the, this diet completely changed your life and you're in phenomenal shape you feel better than you ever felt before but sometimes what happens to that same person is they have to be on that diet in order for them to be successful. And it doesn't need to be that way. What you need to learn to do is unpack the things that are in the diet that have made you successful and learn how to just make those regular behaviors. And it doesn't mean you can't go outside of the diet and still have a very balanced and healthy life. Yeah. Yeah. Find that, uh, that sustainability. You, you can sustain, sustain that diet and it, and it works for you. And it's, it's like something that can, continues to work for you. I mean, it's not, it's not like you don't have to monitor it, but it's just like, listen to your body. You guys talk about that a lot too. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that takes years and years of practice, right? I mean, I still to this day, um, I recognize new things or behaviors or stuff with my body. And so I think it just, it starts at, at one point in your life, you realize that all these foods, all these things, the stresses that we were talking about earlier that you allow into your life, they all affect they, they affect how you sleep. They expect, they affect your energy levels, your hormone levels, uh, all those things. And the, the more aware you become of that, I think the easier it is to try and follow a plan or make good decisions eating. Like instead of it being, I eat these foods because it's going to make me look a certain way. You choose to eat foods because the way it makes you feel and the way you perform in all other aspects of your life. Oh, I'm a better husband. I have a better sex drive. I get better sleep. I have a better stool my skin's better, my hair's better. All these other aspects of my life are enhanced because I make these better decisions on what I put into my mouth. That's a lot more motivating than it always being about, I need to lose weight or gain weight, or I need to look a certain way. And when you help people make that connection, it, it tends to be a lot more sustainable long-term. So what you learn as a, um, a nutritional counselor, because like I, f- I feel like over the years, like you must have learned a lot of knowledge and um, habit you know skills in the area like different types of like ways to coach your clients because like what advice would you have for client i have clients that you know don't want to count their macros and that consistently you know overeat like because they're emotional eaters like what advice do you have for them well this is an area where sal justin and i are a little divided on right like we have different and i don't think one of us is wrong or right i think that there's different strategies uh for different people i do believe though that if you're going to have success nutritionally, the first step is education. And if you're not aware of what you're consuming, um, at, one, at least getting an idea of like how many grams of protein, how many grams of carbs, how many grams of fat, how many calories are you consuming on a daily basis? Uh, what does that look like for you? And you don't do that for some period of consistency. It's really hard to approach eating healthy without having some sort, I mean, some sort of a concept of what, what that exactly means. So I'm big on always originally tracking, like that was mandatory for me. Like if you, if you hired me as a coach, the first, the first test before I I would actually even take your money would be, you need to actually track your food and everything for two weeks. I want to see two weeks of consistency and to me, what a couple of things I would find out with that either one, I would, I would weed out the people that aren't serious. Like if you really don't want to learn, they quit about most your, of the time. 
yeah, they quit, right? They don't, they don't even make two weeks. And what does that tell me as a coach? Like if they're quitting on that and they, and it, I'm not charging them any money to do that. Like it's, it, this person is going to be a constant, like back and forth. I'm not going to get them the results they want. They have to want it bad enough to at least discipline themselves to just write down. And, but what I mean by track too, I don't mean like follow a plan. I mean, when you eat a Snickers bar, write that shit down. When you go to fast food, write it. I just want to see, I want to see what your p- behaviors and patterns are. From there, I can then better coach you up on making changes versus writing out a diet plan, which so many people think they want. You know, they tell you, hey, Adam, could you just write me a meal plan to give me the results? Well, yeah, I could just give you all the answers to the test, but you won't ever be able to maintain this for the rest of your life. I don't teach you. You got to teach them to fish. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So that's so for me, like you have to you have to at least do that at the bare minimum. So I, I have a base to teach from if i just give you the answers it's no different than me just giving you the answer to the test you don't learn anything and if you really want long-term results and that that's the way as a coach that you i don't want to say you trick but how you convince clients to to commit to that is that well do you want to just lose your 20 pounds and then gain it back on later or do you want to lose your 20 pounds and leave it off for the rest of your life and you know 99 of people will be like well I, yeah i want to lose it adam and never put it back on okay well if that's the course you want to take, I need to educate you and I need to teach you on how to create behaviors in your life that will sustain this weight loss for the rest of your life versus do you just want the answers as a test? Do you just want me to get 20 pounds off of you? Because I could write a strict diet for you, tell you to do it. But then, you know, there's a, about a 90 percent chance that you're going to put it all back on plus right. some more. Which one would you rather have? You know, yeah, exactly. we've seen a lot of, um, you know, cookie cutter meal plans and we're here to get people like the right information get people to know and not just write out random cookie cutter meal plans and you know here, here you go teach people the fish start. instead of uh give them just give them a fish you yeah. know you, you teach them how to actually the actual skills to know you know nutritionally what is a carb what is a fat you know what are macros and and you know and then they can actually change out those foods and and you know kind of make it work for them if you have clients with different types of um what's the word, uh, just backgrounds. Like, I, you know, sometimes, you know, I have clients from India or have clients from South America or um, different parts of Asia. And if you just tell them, oh, well, we're gonna eat, you know, oatmeal, bodybuilding foods, oatmeal in the morning, and we're gonna have six ounces of chicken and, you know, four ounces of rice. And then we're gonna do that three more times. And then dinner is gonna be steak. That doesn't work. You know, they're, you know, they're cult- culturally food is tied to them. What have you done with clients like that um, to get them results, but still, um, you know, hold on to their culture? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And that's like, that's why you get paid. Right. So this is where, you know, if they track some of that and you said something that's right on, like if you all of a sudden switch them over to a bunch of bodybuilding foods, like who are you fooling? Like they're not going to follow that for the rest of their lives. So you have to find ways to kind of integrate what, what they've done for probably most of their life and their parents' life as far as eating culturally, and then also finding that balance. So within every culture, there is healthy foods, there's healthy choices, and then there's less healthy choices, right? And less good foods, right? So part of that is educational on you. So when I had clients like that, the, still the same thing starts as they have to track. But now it may lead to me having to ask more questions, like explaining, like, what is this? What, right. what is it, what is what is it made with? And, you know, can you do me a favor? And if this is a staple food you have for the, for one time, can you measure everything out and track it so I can break it down and figure out what all is in this? Is there right. a couple, is there a cup of flour in here? And then 
you know, a quarter cup of cheese. And then there's, you know, four tablespoons of olive oil. Like, I don't know what's all in this that makes this amazing dish that you love so much. And I need to figure that all out because this could be the part that is putting us over 500 calories, even though you think it's a healthier dish, but because we're not calculating everything that is going into that. And if that's true, then I'm not telling you, you can't ever have this dish the rest of your life. It just needs to be something that we, we account for. You can't, you don't want to do that on a day where you've already hit your, your calorie intake. And then all of a sudden you have your, your favorite dish that is 500 more calories than a basic chicken rice bowl that I would rather you eat right there. So we need to learn how to adjust your other foods and the rest of the day in order to include that sometimes in your diet. So it's a little bit of an education process that is going to have to take place. Even as a trainer, like I know better than to try and change the way a culture has, has ate for hundreds of years or thousands of years uh, because they want to get a little buff. It's like, if they want to eat those foods, I've got to find a way to kind of mold it. But then there's also that other side too, of like, this is an education process. And some people, regardless of what culture you're a part of, think something is healthy when it's really not that healthy. You know, maybe they were told it was a healthy dish or because it has vegetables in it or because it's got some chicken in it, they think it's a healthy dish, but then everything else in it, it's garbage or way high in calories. And so that conversation needs to be had. Like, hey, I know you love this dish, but this dish takes up 60% of our calories for the entire day. It's under protein by X amount of grams. So we can't, we can't have this dish every day and also hit your targets. We need to learn to figure that, figure that balance out. And so, yeah, I mean, that part is as a trainer over years of experience, you've, once you've trained enough people from enough different cultures, you start to see some similarities and things that you start to see that stand out a little bit, or, you know, I guess certain cultures, certain types of foods are more challenging to get them to eat more of or less of. And that's just, that's a lot of practice. And a lot of that isn't like some educational background that I had or anything schooling that I went through was just simply when I had a client like that, I would have to learn. I'd have to go back and do my own research and break down whatever was in the recipe to figure it out and figure out what the macros were so I can explain to them where we need to be and where this food is putting us. So, And, and that I think that's a secret to a good trainer is, is doing that research for your client, pushing, out, pushing, your, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to learn something new. And that's a lot of what we try to do here at Blue Collar uh, is we're, we're trying to train the trainers as well as, you know, work with clients and teach clients how to eat. When it comes to scalability with a trainer, uh, everybody starts out, they, they graduate, they, they, some of them have the kinesiology degree, some of them have good sales experience, and they, they, they're trying to figure it out. You, you have lived the great life of scalability. What would you tell a new trainer who's starting out or a trainer who's been in business for a year about, hey, this is, this is what you need to do for your business or a scale. This is how you need to treat your clients. Oh, wow. There's a lot there. Uh, and, a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot there to unpack. There's a lot of that that I think is changing in today's time. Like, you know, first, first and foremost, uh, you're not going to scale your business if you're not providing incredible service for the two people or the five people or the 10 people you have currently now. Uh, and nothing is more valuable to you than the current people that you're helping now. Like one mistake that I think a lot of trainers or this is people making business period is they're so about getting acquisition, acquisition over retention, right? I talk about this and in, in like in, in the scale of big business, but this even applies to small business and the trainer trying to build their business. They're so concerned about getting more clients. They're not focused on retaining the ones they have. So retention is always more important than acquisition. And so 
if you make, if you say you have five clients and you're constantly trying to get seven, eight, nine, ten 10 clients, and that's taking away from those five clients. And so of those five clients, only two of them end up having a really good experience with you. And the other three have an okay or not so good experience from you. You now only have two people of those two people. You're likely you'll be lucky if one of them is going to go out and sing your praises. And it's simply a math game like that. So I want to over deliver on all five of the people that I have in hopes that I can get two or three of them to go out there and be these people that are like my walking billboards. And, and you'll have way more success as a trainer off of a referral based business than you ever will with all the new tricks of social media and hacks to get more attention because that may con constantly be acquiring people, but if they're going out the back door just as fast as they're coming in, that's a hell of a business model to try and run. It's a, it's frustrating as hell and it's, it's not sustainable and eventually kind of fall, the bottom falls out from underneath you. So if you're going to scale a trainer, your, your, most of your energy and focus should be on the service of the people that you're helping right now. You want those people to feel like, and Sal talks about this on the show, when you know you admit it as a good trainer, when, you're, when, you're tra when your client calls you when they're sick or they have an injury or they have other issues going on, instead of calling to cancel their appointment with you, they call you because they want to see you because they respect your knowledge and experience in that field. And even if they know you're not a doctor or an expert, they know you're the guy who's going to get them that information. Like, I don't, I feel this weird pain, Adam. Like, you know, I know you're not a doctor and you can't prescribe me your hair and you don't have an x-ray, but can I come in and see you so you can see the way I move and maybe you can help me figure out what's going on so I can then go, you know, refer to whoever I need to. So yeah, that's with scaling a, a business as a trainer, you got to take care of your people. And as far as like education and all that stuff, a lot of that stuff comes, right? I'd rather have a trainer with zero experience zero education, but the right characteristics uh, that make a good trainer, which is somebody who's got empathy, somebody that's passionate about the job, somebody who loves people, somebody who loves being challenged and like diversity, likes having all different types of clients, like a chameleon. I'd rather have that person with no education, no experience that I can help develop than the trainer who's got, you know, a masters in sports medicine they've got four national certs and they've been a trainer for two or three years a lot of times those guys or girls come in and they've got bad habits or they think the world is owed to them or they think they do things better than you do and then they have a chip on their shoulder and they have a really hard time scaling so um i know that's a really big question to like try and encapsulate it in like a couple of short answers because i think there's so much to scaling a business um but i think it starts with really focusing on the few people you take really good care of. And by the way, this is how mind pump was built. Like almost six years ago when we started, just like you guys are on episode 18 right now, we had probably a few hundred people at best listening to us. And we had a private forum, which back then we allowed, you know, free access. If you bought a program. So if you bought a program from us, you got access in there. We had about 30 people in there, but those 30 people, got day-to-day -day interaction multiple times a day from Sal, Justin, and I. And we, we gave everything we had into that those 35 people. Those 35 people grew to 60 people, then 90 people, then 100. Now there's thousands of people on there. And those people of, like, of the millions of people that listen to Mind Pump, that, that core 3,000 or 4,000 or so that's there is 80% of our business. When we release a program, when we drop a shirt, when we sell anything, a, a sponsor, 
Those are the people that go out there and buy everything. The people that come in and out of listening to the show and all the acquisitions that are constantly happening of new listeners that are coming in, that, that one out of a hundred of those people end up being a really good customer. The really good customers are the people that we took really, really good care of and the friends of those people who they've referred to Mind Pump and then they've brought in. So That's your tribe. Something. Yeah, absolutely, your tribe. So build your tribe. That matters at this, even the smallest scale of a trainer who's got three clients to something as a scale of Mind Pump that has millions of people that are paying attention. Keeping the ball rolling here with the podcast, uh, we, I was at your uh, Seattle event a couple of years ago um, and uh, the question came up, you guys listen to old episodes and you guys were like, oh, no, we don't listen to episodes. Those sound terrible. What what uh, how do you guys think you've evolved? What advice would you have for us oh, to maybe speed up the process or not? Maybe maybe not make some of the same mistakes you guys did. I, I, uh, I like that question. I like that question coming from someone like you, too. I think it's silly when people don't ask me that and they're getting into podcasting because I think there's a, t- a tremendous amount that we have learned uh, that we do different now. Right. Like. You know, the, the, the initial like uh, shock and awe approach was what we did at first. It's like we knew we had good information because this is the information that we've been changing lives for for the last two decades. So we knew we had valuable information to give. So we were going to give it all. And it, we thought if we had this kind of off the off the cuff, you know, shock and awe locker room type of crazy talk that it would attract people. Um, and initially, I think it did. Initially, I think it, 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 it brought our first core audience that love that. In fact, if you're on our forum or you see this, a lot of times our forum, they missed that old version of us that was, you know, smoking weed and, and drinking whiskey while we were while we were recording the podcast. So the old days. They, yeah, they, they really missed that. But the truth, to be very completely transparent with you guys, I mean, that was a lot of nerves. That was because we were moving into a space that none of us were familiar with. Sal, Justin, Doug, myself. None of us had media experience at all. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 we were confident in what we had to say, but very nervous and, and probably anxious on how we said it. And so we swore a lot. Uh, we definitely were all over the board and unorganized. But because we were giving so much value to the few hundred people that are listening, it's the only reason. So it, it grew in spite of itself, right? Like, I think that um, we were lucky that it grew, even though we were that raw and, and terrible. So things that we, <laughs> we started to refine, like, so here's like a, here's like a, was a huge tip for me. Um, I was actually just talking to my marketing team about some video I got to shoot right now. And he was talking about this being like the, the number one thing he learned when he was going through schooling for this. And he's like in his sixties and he talks about, uh, pausing, um, uh, when you do stuff like this. So it took me a long time because I'm a motor mouth. To, to learn to, to pause when I'm having conversations like the one we're having right now. On the podcast, if you listen early on, there was a lot of talking over each other back and forth, and we didn't quite have this beautiful flow of in and out with each other. And a lot of that was because Sal and I especially had a lot to say, and we weren't afraid to say it. And so we were real quick to always do it. Where And, and it felt like when you're on air, like you guys are right now, it feels like if we do this, that feels like a lifetime when you're in that moment. But as a listener, it's actually refreshing to hear a little bit of a break and a pause like that because mm-hmm. it allows them to either gather the thought or clearly hear what you're trying to convey and digest that for a moment. It's not long at all 
on their end. And so something that I've practiced for the last probably three years a lot, and I still don't think I'm great at it, but I do think I'm a lot better than what I was four years ago. And that's learning to do that is learning to pause and not be afraid of five seconds of radio silence. That feels like a lifetime. It helps you gather your thoughts. It gives the listener some time to gather their thoughts. It also gives you time to pause with your co-host so you're not talking over each other. That was a huge, a huge moment for all of us when we really started to get uh, good at that. And also paying attention to your speech pattern. Like if you do a lot of uh and ums, mm-hmm. yeah, those are perfect places to allow those breaks of silence to happen. Instead of saying uh or um, don't say anything and just let it pause and let the silence be there and then continue with your versus throwing in the um or the uh because that for a listener that becomes very annoying and there's people that you know they forgave us for being raw like that when we first started they knew that we were a bunch of fitness trainers and we weren't media people but now at the level that we're at that's expected of us like we get i'll get tore apart if i speak over sal or we swear a little much you know and, and that happens too right sometimes when you're nervous and you're talking fast you swear Again, I'm not anti-swearing. I swear all the time, but I, I, there's now a more calculated way that I do it. Like there's places for it when I want to put an exclamation mark on a statement. And so using a swear word like that can be powerful. But if you overuse it, you just sound like somebody who doesn't have an extensive vocabulary. And so at the level we're at now, we get hammered for doing things like that. And we've had to kind of evolve out of that. The other thing that has changed a lot is preparation for the show. We, we got to where we're at by simply just off the cuff, all the experience, all the knowledge, great conversation. We all liked each other. It flowed okay. Um, we, over time, we've pieced together the things that people really enjoy. So one of the most pivotal moments uh, in Mind Pump's growth was the, when I made the decision to do uh, an, an intro portion and then a separate uh, you know, quas portion and that we would intro the show and tell you. So that was a big debate behind the scenes that nobody saw. We all argued about that. And I was really adamant about, listen, we have a clear division of people that listen to our show. 50% of the people that listen to our show don't even work out. They just love the banter. They love their locker room talk. They love the news. They love the current events that we talk about. Don't give a shit about our fitness knowledge. Then we literally have another 50% that hate to hear us talk about politics or talk about current events and all they want all they want us for is our fitness brain they respect that part of us they don't give a shit about our other views and they just want that and so what do we do you're split down the middle of your audience half of them are one way and we didn't know what to do we were going to create another show and we said you know what we're going to do we're not going to change the formula of the show we're just going to forecast it for people so they know what to expect that was a big deal for us and so now And then over time with segmenting the show like that, we've also started to learn what things that people want to hear us to talk about. Like we've now become a source of news for a lot of people. A lot of people don't watch the news. They hate the news. And they feel like we do such a good job of talking about current events into the show that they get their kind of news outlet from a couple people that they are like-minded like. And so they like to hear it come from us. So each guy is responsible every night to bring current events or topics the next day. And we don't tell each other. We just know that like, and each of us have our own articles and books and things that we're into reading. So it's different, it's diverse. And when we show up at work together, we, I, I have always three or five things that I think are interesting topics. And then I, we tell Doug, 
Doug types it up on the computer up on the TV screen and there's bullet points up there. And we have that as a reference in our flow of conversation. So we still have an organic flow of conversation, but then we also up in our upper right-hand corner, we've got a TV monitor that has a reminder for each of us. I, I can see my three or four bullet points that I might want to bring up. Sal has his, Justin has his, and then we just let the conversation go. And what we've gotten good at is knowing where to insert certain, certain conversations like, <clears throat> and you hear us every once in a while tease each other. Like, I don't know if you, how often you guys listen to the show or not, but like oh, wow. if Justin or if, if, yeah, if Justin or Sal make a really terrible transition, a lot of times I'll call it out. Like, you know, commercials sudden, are funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. insert those. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Justin's so, hilarious. So yeah. Some, sometimes they're really smooth transitions, like, and you don't even know it's coming. And then other times it's like, a, we're talking about tech. And all of a sudden we make this transition to Felix Gray Glass. And that's actually a decent transition. We make it all of a sudden to some other random sponsor or other topic. <laughs> and it's a really rough. So that's, and we're still getting better at that, right? Like how do we, how do we flow in this conversation without making it uh, planned, you know? And so it's this organic feel to it, but then also being smart enough and smooth enough to make the conversation for the listener sound very uh, natural, the way it flows into all the topics. And so We've had to learn how to do that with topics. And then we've also had to learn how to do that with integrating partners, right? So we have two commercials for every show we do. So we also know what those two commercials are. And before we start, each guy will say something like, today was uh, Felix Gray and Ned. Um, and I don't know, Felix Gray and something else, right? So I used my Felix Gray last night. I just happened to take a picture with the Ned before I went to bed and not zonked out. So I, I'll tell the guys, like, I got Felix Gray. I don't tell them what, I just say, I got it. And one of the other guys will say, okay, I got, I got Organifi because we've each used the product in the last 24 hours or 48 hours. And then that, we just know that it's that guy's responsibility to integrate it into the conversation. So there is a lot that goes behind the show that probably people don't know that we've evolved into that we didn't do at the beginning. In the beginning, we were very rough and just kind of put it all in, just no planning whatsoever, um, where there's a lot more planning and thought uh, that goes into a lot of these conversations that we do that we try and make feel for the listener as uh, very organic flowing and off the cuff. So the best way that you guys were able to stop talking over each other was that pause. And then you look at each other, it feels like forever on air, but to the listener, they're just collecting their thoughts. 100%, 100%. And we've now got like I mean, we're right. What episode fourteen hundred, right? So we've done fourteen hundred. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's over two thousand hours of of time that we have spent together that we've aired, right? There's a lot that we haven't aired. So we we have got. I like. I can tell when Justin is coming to the end of his thought. I can tell Sal when he's wrapping up a thought. They know when I want to insert and say something. We have you know body language now that that each guy knows, and so between pausing like that and then really knowing your co-host and knowing where to insert yourself. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, the hardest part about like, I, since us, I know there's a lot of people that have tried the three host thing. I also think that's what makes us really special and dynamic because that's fucking hard to do. It's very hard to have three hosts and not come like super over the top of each other in conversation. So it's a major art. It's a major art form to have too. That's why most people, most successful interviewers and podcast people are one person interviewing another person. It's easy to control the conversation that way. When you've got two or three, you've now got to 
flow with those people. And, you know, sometimes it's a hit and sometimes a big miss. Yeah, I was recommending you kind of like exercises for, uh, you know, developing cohesion between hosts and like ways to, you know, work on our dynamic, or like, and just be able to work on a flow while also like articulating fitness knowledge and keep it entertaining. Like, right. what do you guys do to work on that? Do you have any like any exercises for that, Adam? So uh, we don't have any specific exercises, although I do think there are some valuable things that are out there. Justin did a comedy comedy school last year, right? And they do a lot of like uh, <laughs> exercises like that where they have to like word play and play off of each other really well. I think a lot of it though is is just, and I don't know how much time you guys spend together right now, but um, you know, we, we certainly have become in the last six years, I mean, uh, Justin and Sal, I would 100% uh, have in my wedding, right? They, they, they are, we've become that tight and that bonded uh, that we're like family. Like we, we absolutely know each other so well. I mean, I, and so I think a lot of that is just getting to know yourself. If you guys are not spending time outside the podcast with each other, that would be where I would start. I mean, just okay. whether it be activities or meeting together and hanging together or debating conversations and topics, like all that stuff, I think is very healthy for you guys developing a, a strong chemistry um, and over time, what we, I think we've learned, and this took a while, like you've got three alphas, uh, that all have been leaders that have all ran business themselves. So there was this kind of, uh, I don't want to say power struggle because nobody out of us like really felt like, Oh, I want to be the leader and I'm going to be the guy, but we're also, that's always been so natural for all of us that there was this little bit of push pull on, you know, where do we let Adam just take the reins? Where do we just let Sal take the reins, Doug? So you know, that's going to take some probably time for you guys on like when a conversation is being had now that we've been doing this for a long time. Like if somebody asks a very technical business question or talking about scalability or like the finance, that stuff, that's my wheelhouse. Like, I love that. I love that more than I love training and fitness. I love building businesses. I love the back end stuff. And so when now when we're having dialogue, I've already I've now asserted myself into that position that Sal and Justin are, are trained to like look to me when someone asks that question the same way that if someone asks a very technical science-based question Justin and i look to sal right away right so we, over time we've kind of asserted ourselves to into these positions that when people ask us to questions or we have conversations that the guy who's strongest in that area we we let them steer it more and we take a back seat and that's hard to do if you have a guy like out of you three like let's say one of you carries the conversation most of the time you know, you, you, that may be great for most of the time, but then the other two guys may have better expertise or have better connections with a guest. You've got to learn how to take a back seat and allow the other person to kind of lead. And it doesn't need to be a formal conversation about, it. you don't need to be say like, Hey, Trevor, you need to be running this one now. You know, like, I'm not going to run this one. It doesn't need to be like that. You just mm -hmm. need to learn that about each other. Like, Hey man, you ask really good. Like another thing I do, like when it gets to like, when we're trying to get something very personal, intimate, uh, like I love psychology, right? So I read a lot of psychology and I like talking about emotional intelligence, self-awareness. So when we're trying to get in deep on a, on a, on a, a guest and I start going that direction, you'll naturally see Sal and Justin kind of back off the conversation because they know what I'm doing. They know that I'm starting to go somewhere and get this person really personal and actually try and get some really deep personal shit out of this, out of this conversation where they might accidentally ask a question that takes it in a whole other direction and that'll fuck the flow up. And that took time of us having interviews and then dial having dialogue afterwards and be like, dude, 
I wanted to get this out of him and I wanted to say that to him. And then you redirected him this way. So we had a lot of that. Like we'd have an interview like you guys are having with me right now. And then afterwards we would evaluate it and be like, bro, when you asked Adam that question, that was so good. Why didn't we keep asking him those questions? Then you took him over to this other question. That was totally stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like you gotta be, (laughs) you gotta be okay with being critical on yourself. And what's great is that we're not like pointing at each other. Like you did this, I did this. We are, we're all very critical of ourselves. So when I walk away from an interview, I'm normally beating myself up like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. I should have let Sal just do that or damn it. I wish I would have asserted myself and asked these questions. So all that stuff really matters. And the more you guys practice, practice, practice interviewing like that and challenging questions, you know, the best interviewers, you're your Howard Stearns, the Oprah Winfrey's, the people that they ask the really personal hard questions, Mm -hmm. dude. Like everybody asks me the same stuff all the time. Like I, I get asked mind pump story over and over and over and over. It's like, and I have this crazy childhood story, background, things like that. And not a lot of people know to go in and ask those types of questions. That's the stuff that makes like, when you're interviewing somebody who already has a following or has a good amount of people, that's the gold, man. If you could be the person that figures out like what nobody else has asked them, like that's what I try and pride myself out of the group of us. Like, can I ask, you know, Jim Quick a question that nobody asked him? Or can I ask Adam Sedlak, who was on the show, a question that nobody's asked him before? Like, think about that shit before you guys go into interviews. It's not just, oh, this guy's a fitness guy, and we can ask him this, this, and this. It's like, okay, he's been asked all these things a million times. What's something someone hasn't asked him that you're curious about that you want to know and drive in that direction? Well, I have a question in that direction. Uh, kind of go back, going back to your background, you had a rough upbringing. Like, I did some research, and you grew up with – 10 siblings bounce from home to home. And it's like, I researched it like, like Adam, like you developed entrepreneurship skills from an early age. How, like, was there a moment where you developed these skills to bring you into your own in financial, um, buying your own house and in personal training business? Like how did your upbringing like help you with your entrepreneurship career? Have you guys seen uh, – there's, there's a new series on Netflix called The Playbook. Have you guys seen it by any chance? I haven't. Got to watch you it You guys now. should watch it. It's really good, right? So I'm all into it right now. It's, uh, it's kind of like uh, ESPN's 30 for 30, and it's like some of the world's most renowned coaches and leaders and, like, they're all their lessons. And there's something that's kind of neat. I've already watched, I think, three or four of them, and there's a, there's a common theme that I can connect to and I can relate to. Oh, they had a, a, a hard time in their upbringing that developed strengths that led into their leadership later on. Th- this is a lot like my story. Like, I mean, I didn't know uh, having a father committing suicide at seven years old and then, you know, kind of becoming the man of the household, moving around to 10 different houses growing up and being the oldest of five siblings. And then my mom marrying into abusive relationship. Like, how the fuck is that going to help me be a leader? Like, I wouldn't, you, you're not thinking that way or processing that when you're going through it, you're purely trying to survive as a, as a young kid. And that's kind of what ends up happening to me is I'm going through all this stuff as a kid. When I start to get into the workforce and I get older, I, I get into personal training at 20 by 21, I was a manager and in a leadership position. So at 21, I'm leading a team of 15 trainers, all of which are older than me. So I'm the youngest I'm also one of the most inexperienced and now I have 15 people that I'm telling what to do and they're all older and wiser than me. And it really wasn't scary. It really wasn't that hard for me. It very, it felt natural for me. And it probably felt natural for me because at seven, eight years old, 
I have memories of sitting my parents down and talking to them about how they need to communicate with each other because they were screaming and fighting and cops and shit was going on. And that to me was like my normal life. But when I tell that story to someone, they're like, wait a second, seven, are you sure it was seven? I'm like, okay, well, it could have been eight or nine. I said, but I know what, I have vivid memories of that at, at certain houses. And I know what ages I was at those houses. That's, yeah. So, the, the age, like nailing down the age is like kind of beside the point. It's like you were young. Yeah. Right. And think about how, I mean, think about a seven or a 10 year old sitting uh, two 30 year olds down and trying to teach them how to communicate. Now for me, that was survival mode, right? Cause I just didn't want to have my parents kill each other in the house. And so that was what I was doing. But to think that a kid was having to process that information and to think that through at that age, you know, a lot of people might feel sorry for myself, but man, that's what turned me into who I am today. And it also made me very comfortable by the time I was 21, telling a bunch of, you know, 15 people that are in, that are considered my peers the day before now telling them all what to do. I had to, at a survival, figure out those skills at a very, very young age. And over time I had, had harnessed them. And then once I made that connection, that those things came from all that stuff, then I learned to try and develop it. Right. So I was, I didn't come out at 21, like this amazing leader that's been years and years of refining the skills and, and becoming better at it. But a hundred percent, you know, all the success that I've had in, in my life and all the failures have come from, you know, childhood stuff that I went through that I had to overcome due, at, due to survival that has now played a huge role in who I am as a, as a business operator, who, who I am as a father today, who I am as a leader in our, in our business, in our, in our space, like definitely uh, am grateful for all those things that I went through. And I just think that it's, it's something that a lot of people lack today. We live in a very, believe it or not, as weird as times are right now, uh, we live in a very good time, a very safe time in the world. We have access to so much. I mean, our, our phones, what they're capable of are just unbelievable compared to the things that we had access to just 20 years ago. And so we live in such a, in a, an incredible, easy time. And I think that going through all that adversity as a child was so good because when I, it's not like I don't have adversity today. It's not like I didn't have hard days as a leader or as a boss or hard days as a trainer. I had lots of those. They just seemed so little because I was an adult. I was an adult. I was a grown person. Like, and they just seemed so simple compared to trying to survive or keep your parents from killing themselves or having to go to a brand new school every year and start all over and meet new friends. And, you know, that all that stuff, that was really hard. That was hard at nine years old, at 10 years old, at 11 years old. Once I got to real life and adulthood and it's like, oh, it's hard because my boss doesn't like me. Fuck, that's not hard. <laughs> I'll, work, I'll work around that. That ain't a bit. So I, I really changed my perspective on adversity. And, you know, to this day, I'm extremely grateful for that. The reason why I don't talk about my childhood a lot on the show is because I don't want anyone ever to think that I, I'm playing the victim role or feel sorry for me. But the truth is, I did go through a lot of different shit growing up, but I'm extremely grateful that I did because it turned me into a lion. I mean, it's, it's, I, I have this ability to look at adversity. I mean, on the other side of fear resides success. So when I get in a situation where I'm scared or nervous, I get excited. I get excited because I know when I get to the other side of that, this is going to be some of the greatest times. And if I wasn't scared, it wouldn't be that great on the other side. You know, it's not fun overcoming things that are simple, but the shit that's really hard that stops you in your tracks, that's the most rewarding shit to get through. So 
I just it changed my perspective on how I looked at everything. Uh, kind of gives gives it a sense of urgency. Go ahead, Trevor. Uh, something that, that it's kind of a funny question. Um, so I've I've found out that uh, a lot of like trauma, I guess trauma, like experiencing hardships when you're when you're younger, it it not only makes you just more a more well-rounded person, but it also makes you funny. Um, so so kind of breaking into that a little bit. I know that you have you have a kid. Is his name is Max, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so how do you how do you put them in certain situations or put kids in certain situations to where they're going to develop and you're not holding their hand through the whole experience so that they can learn things from from experiences? I love that question because that is uh, on my mind today more than it is, more than anything else is on my mind. All the crazy stuff I have with business and work and stuff like that. My son is my probably my number one, if not Katrina being my number one priority in my life. And the thing that I think about more than anything else is that my, my son is grow is going to grow up in a completely different household than I am. And if I truly believe in what I just said to you guys, that I attribute all of my success to the, the adversity that I had growing up, what does that mean for my son? And so um, this is definitely a, 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 a internal struggle that I have and a battle I even have with Katrina because I already think like that right now. I mean, the guy is not even talking. He's barely just walking. <laughs> and here I am talking about how we're going to implement adversity. Make him walk in front of a stroller. <laughs> well, so I'll, gi- I'll give you an example of like one of the first kind of like, you know, Katrina and I don't really fight, but we have disagreements, right? So our first, you know, fight or disagreement um, was when he was starting to learn how to crawl. He hadn't crawled yet. And we knew that he was at that time, like he'd been doing tummy time. He'd been attempting and almost being able to crawl, but he wasn't quite there. And uh, what would she would do a lot is, you know, he, he we would put him on his stomach. And if, if any of you have kids, you know, they, after a while, being on that, they get frustrated and they want you to pick them up or whatever like that. And I would, I would take him upstairs away from her when she'd be downstairs. And I would, I would leave him there and I'd let him cry. And I'd sit like five feet away from him. And I would, and I would try and, call him to come closer to me and come closer to me and he he'd crawl like one step and then he would fall down and, and he'd cry and he gets so frustrated and it would break my heart like it would break my heart to see his tears running down his face and why do it but i was like i was telling myself the whole time like no i'm not going to give in to him just because he's frustrated and he's crying now make him work make him work make him work well long story short i end up getting him to crawl right but i videoed all this and i showed katrina and oh my god was she fucking living <laughs> She was, she was livid because she's just like, he's a baby right now. He doesn't understand any of this stuff like that. And how could you do this to him and this and that? And I say, Hey, it starts now. Like uh, what? So if it's not now, what age does it start? When, when do we start introducing him to adversity and helping him learn how to overcome that? Like, I believe now, I believe right now is already that time that we start. And and that's the little example. Obviously, I can't challenge him with some crazy math problem or make him do his own laundry or do those types of things yet. But there are little things that he's trying to learn to do on his own. And instead of every time he cries or fusses, giving in to him and helping him, a lot of times I will allow him to get frustrated and struggle a little bit and try and help him through the process versus rescue him from the process. And so, um, I do believe that matters now. I do. And I, and I think that there's, there's no amount of 
adversity I can try and create for him to even come close to the adversity that I probably had. <laughs> so I do, I think about this all the time. And I think that parents that try and do all for their kids um, are robbing their children uh, of these, these beautiful things that come from adversity. And I want to say that, you know, if there's a parent right now that I'm frustrating, just saying that I would have been this parent at 25. So if I would have had a kid at 25, 26, 27 years old, at that time in my life, I was still dealing with a lot of my own insecurities. At that point in my life, I still had the, I was a poor kid. I worked really hard now to become successful. Look at me, look at everything I've accomplished. And I had this, I had this bad habit of showing, showing my success and I needed to talk about it. I found myself inserting into conversations, my bankroll or talking about what I could afford. And like, and that, that all is rooted from an insecurity of not having much as a kid. And so I still had that in my mid twenties. If I would have had a child at that same time, I would have bled those insecurities into him. I would have bought him, you know, 10 pairs of Jordan shoes already. He would have like a mongoose bike. He would have all the, you know, he'd have all this flossy shit because I could, because I can afford it. So why not? Right. And because I didn't have those things, I want to give them to my son. And I think that, I think there's a lot of parents that do that and they do it from the right place. Like, I, I don't think that they, obviously they're not doing it to harm them. They do it because they love their kid and they think that they're they're The more they do that, the more they're loving them, but they're really robbing them and they don't realize that. I wouldn't have realized that at 25 years old, at 25 mm -hmm. years old, I was still working through that myself that I would have allowed those insecurities to bleed into my son and God knows where he'd be, you know, 10, 15 years from now, or that would be today. Right. Last question. So uh, two part question here. You've had quite the evolution. You've, you know, you were the, the main trainer at a, a 24 hour fitness for years, transitioning, competing, mind pump, all these things. Um, what's the next evolution for you, Adam? And then what is the next evolution for mind pump? Oh, cool. That's kind of a cool question too. And one that I'll throw a curveball. You probably have no idea about. Uh, so I'm actually getting my real, <laughs> I'm getting my real estate license right now. Uh, which is, <laughs> which is, uh, which is a lot, by the way, I, I, I'm just, sometimes I'm a fool the way I do things, right. I commit to something and I just say, I'm going to do it, not realizing of what I'm committing to and, you know, scaling three companies while also, uh, raising a child while also trying to stay fit. And then, uh, also become a real estate agent all at once is quite the fucking task. I'll tell you that right now. So I'm living that right now. Um, the reason why I'm living that is because, a huge part of my focus. So I'll tell you business and then personal, right? So uh, Mind Pump Investments, we have three We have three companies. We have Mind Pump Investments, we have Maps Fitness Products, and then we have Mind Pump Media. All three of them are separate entities. All three of them we treat differently and, and scale differently and also are positioning all three of them with the possibility of selling at one time if we want to and branching off or whatever. So uh, Mind Pump Investments is probably my biggest focus in the last year and what I'm most excited about. Like, uh, we, we opened up a stock portfolio last year and a real estate portfolio. And so we, um, we acquire properties um, that are rental properties. Uh, we have properties in Idaho, Texas, and Tahoe uh, that we've purchased in just this last year. And uh, that takes a lot, a lot of time. So it takes me a, a lot of time to do research uh, on properties, to know how to evaluate what's a good investment, and then how to know uh, where our money is best spent. And so I'm digging the shit out of that. Uh, we just, we just, we're actually in escrow for property number five right now. And part of what I want to do with that uh, side of the business is getting my real estate license 
So I then can help uh, create this as a potential, like, so fast forward, let's say five years from right now, right? So the goal is within two years to have 20 properties or more and a a very robust uh, uh, real estate portfolio that I can show and, and show people how much success that we've had in doing all this from there, teaching others how to do that. Um, and then if I have my real estate license, I can broker deals that way. So let's just say, for example, let's say you guys are in a place right now where you have X amount of dollars put away and you're interested in like, I would love to learn how to, you know, invest in real estate, Adam, where do I start? Like, I hope to build that leg um, and actually help teach others how to do that. And then I'll be able to, as a real estate agent, be able to broker uh, some of those deals and make a kickback for the business uh, while also educating and helping others while also helping our own business. Right. So the first, and I'm getting ahead of myself by sharing with you where I want to be in five years right now, it's all about ourselves building mind pump investments up uh, as big as I possibly can and running as efficiently as possible. Then eventually teaching others how to do the same thing. So uh, that's where a lot of my focus and energy is uh, aside from all the things that I do with mind pump, media and with everything with mass fitness products. Uh, and then for me, like where I'm at, like my fitness goals, it's really like as a dad now, like, um, I kind of feel like I've, I've climbed the mountain, right. As far as like proving like how jacked and fit I can be like, uh, there's, uh, not a lot of people that have, uh, been at the level of, of shredded or fit or buff. I mean, as you, I were, you were, you were an IFBB pro in men's physique. I mean, that's a big yeah. achievement. Right. So I feel like I kind of like, uh, proven that right that i can do that so i think uh i think that i have already done that it's not interesting to me anymore like i was never in love with bodybuilding it was more proving to myself can i go do this on my own and uh building a name for myself doing that now i have no real desire to do that but i want to maintain a level of fitness that keeps me able to do things with my boys i went uh wakeboarding this last weekend for the first time in quite some time and was like rude awakening for how, how I felt. I mean, one, um, I couldn't believe how squirrely I felt on a board, something that I felt very natural doing. I've done for two decades of my life. I was wakeboarding since seventh grade. So, uh, I used to be pretty good. And so to feel how difficult it was for me was really interesting. And a lot of that was just, I wasn't as stable. I didn't feel as good in the air. Like I just did not have, I had not woken up those muscles in a very long time. And so that's how I think I, I think of like my training routine to reflect these athletic things I want to do, wakeboarding, snowboarding, playing basketball with my son. Like, so a lot of my training is geared around mobility, flexibility. Um, I, I need to start addressing probably some more of my endurance. So a lot of that looks like that right now. And I just want to be able to be fit and healthy. I don't have a major desire at the moment to do anything impressive, like with my physique, although, you know, Ask me that in two or three years when the portfolio, real estate portfolio is built, Max is a little bit older. Maybe I'm getting an itch because I'm in my forties just to kind of see what I can do again. Like I never will tell somebody like, I'll never do this or I'll never do that because that's just kind of the person I am. Like I get curious about something or interested in something and then I dive into it and, and love to go uh, all in on it. And then, you know, and then move on to the next thing. So there's a chance I might go back and, get super jacked because I'll tell you it was fun. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I like be I liked being the guy, the buff guy in the gym, you know, that's I'm actually going crazy. to pursue my uh my IPB Pro Guard in classic physique this next year. So uh it's oh, really wow. good to get to talk to you. I'm really inspired by, you know, your career and your path to get that um that achievement. So I'm getting jacked myself. 
one of the most memorable moments of my life. Um, one of, not the only one, but one of the most memorable moments of my life was being in Las Vegas after winning Olympia and standing there with Katrina with this whole vision in mind, right? So mind you, before Mind Pump had started, the original vision was to use my me going pro as my first bit of audience to then catapult into Mind Pump. So there was an ultimate vision seven, eight years back. Now, did I know it was going to look like Mind Pump exactly? Did I know it was going to include Sal, Justin, and Doug? No, 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 none of that stuff. It's definitely evolved in some different, but I went out with that intention to, okay, I'm going to start this Instagram page, this YouTube channel. I'm going to build this massive digital business and I'm going to first show everybody what I can do and get the attention and use that pool of people to help build the business. And so that was a unbelievable moment for me. Like, I, I mean, it, just thinking about it uh, gives me chills of that feeling of accomplishment. And as you know, the discipline that it takes uh, mm -hmm. to have that level of a physique. Um, it's, I, I don't know. And that's why I don't know if I'll ever do it again, because I know the sacrifice and the discipline that it, it takes to do that. And one of the most rewarding feelings I've ever had in my life was, was winning that show and going pro man. That's awesome, Adam. Um, I wish you the best with real estate and your future, you know, adventures of mind pump and the evolution of you and your, with your family too, with uh, Katrina and Max and, uh, yeah, guys, this is awesome. I really appreciate your time, Adam. You guys inspire us, man. We're trying to get on y'all. Yeah, we're trying to model our <laughs> podcast after you. So we, we've taken a lot of tips from from uh, Mind Pump. And uh, yeah, Adam, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I appreciate you guys too. You guys let me know when you guys push it out. I'll make sure to push it out on my end. Anytime okay. you guys have questions like like regarding like the podcast, I like talking about that stuff, dude. I really enjoy uh, conversation around scaling a business, all that we've learned. I'll share mm -hmm. everything that I have learned with you guys. So if you ever want to reach out and you have questions about things that you guys are going through or tips, um, I have an open people door. Wanna, people want to reach out to you on that note. Uh, is, is Instagram the best place? Mind put that. I mean, truthfully, uh, no place is a good place anymore, right? Um, <laughs> we've uh, we've gotten to a place where, I mean, we. by the way, too, this is, uh, you know, uh, something that I reckon we talked to the first question asked to me was about the scaling, right? Um, a mistake I see a lot of trainers make is not talking to every, all 10 people they have following them on Instagram and responding to every single DM. Um, I did that all the way up until probably just this last year and a half or so. It's now at a place where it's impossible. It's in, it's in, I get hundreds of DMS every single day and I can't possibly answer everybody. Um, I still drop in there. I still try and answer what I can. Uh, the best thing to do is probably follow me on Instagram and then look for my every, every week I do one day where I do, I dedicate a whole day of answering as many questions that come in at that moment. So as soon as I hit that, that answer, that question up on my uh, story, uh, from that moment till the end of that night, I go through as many as I can get through. Uh, that's your best chances to communicating directly with me uh, would be that way. Uh, but as far as like our programs, our business, all that stuff, I mean, we have customer service and you can go email into us and somebody from my team will definitely answer and help you uh, by doing that. And also, I talked to, uh, um, I was talking, talking with Jerry and I'm going to send you guys some t-shirts. So you're about to get, be getting some swag pretty soon. You yeah, sell nice. Justin, Doug and Jerry. So got some blue so car, I, blue car a, for this t-shirts coming your way. 
I'm an extra large. I think Sal is a, a medium, and Justin's uh, <laughs> a, lar- a large. And then uh, Doug is, I think, a medium. Yeah, Doug's a, Doug's a medium. <laughs> extra medium. Yeah. No, wait, we're yeah. going to get Sal a, a, a wife beater, right? Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> the gold chain and a wife beater. Italian. <laughs> That's right. Trevor, did you have a question? Oh, I was just, I was going to talk about the real estate thing. That's, that's awesome. That's something that I'm, I'm doing <laughs> right now. Name. Yeah, I love it. I love real estate. I'm, I'm wholesaling right now. I'm visiting Colorado. I'm wholesaling in Colorado and uh, I'm going to be landing finally in Texas in probably about a month and a half and uh, in the San Antonio and Austin market oh, okay. um, and like kind of every, everywhere in between. And so uh, we're in, uh, we're, we have, we have two houses in Dallas, Fort Worth area. So Fort Worth, Texas, um, and uh, Idaho. We're in Meridian, Idaho, which is right outside of Boise. So mm-hmm. my so my my thing is I do a lot of research on uh, you know growth, population, uh, job increase, medium income increase, uh, and then equity increase over the last five years. And then I pinpoint like a handful of cities that I love. So uh, Boise, Salt Lake, Utah. Um, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area, Tennessee, and then um, I'm missing one other one that's in there. There's five of them that I really like a lot. Um, and then I love the suburbs that are around that area. Mm-hmm. They get you the best uh, cap rate and cash on cash return. Um, there's some great resources. I don't know if you follow Bigger Pockets. Do you, I do. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So I love I love Bigger Pockets. I love their podcast. I love their website they have a lot of great resources if you haven't read the book hold i think that's a, a great read probably one of my favorite reads Definitely um, write that down yeah that's a that's a great that's a great one yeah dude i'm i'm uh i'm full full into it and love it so i used i had a i wanted to do real estate like in my mid-20s around 24 25 i thought about leaving fitness for a while that was during the big real estate boom i had buddies that left the gym space that were making 100k a year that were making half a million to a million a year on real estate bribing me to leave so I started studying to be a mortgage originator, started reading all the books and was this close to leaving and just it didn't leave. And I stayed, stayed because I love fitness so much. I stayed. And so it's really a very special thing for me to be where we're at now that how it's come full circle. I would have never thought mind pump was going to lead to like real estate investment, but wow. because I know it's not wild. Right. So, but because I have partners that um, are very, we're all very similar in the fact that when we started really making money, um, we didn't really take a lot of that money ourselves. We reinvested it back in the business or we reinvested it into employees. Now that we're at a place where there's plenty of that for all that to go around and some, uh, we still take, you know, considering how much the business makes, we take relatively conservative, uh, salaries and then we invest every single month. So we have close to six figures that we invest every month. Wow. either into the into the market or into real estate um and that's been going since the beginning of this year and i i, I love that man i mean i that's that's setting up my son's future you know what i'm saying so exactly. I, I really exactly. i really i really dig it so it's uh yeah it's something i'm passionate about and nobody knows about like we don't talk about it so nobody yeah if, even if you're that. ever thinking about uh investing in the in the austin area or san antonio area uh i mean i i will hit him up i will plug you up man so i do i i do love austin a lot actually the only reason why i did we i chose something like dallas right like one property taxes are high in texas right yep. so if you're buying and to get the the type of house that I'm buying in Fort Worth in Austin, I'm probably looking at 
a half a million dollars mm -hmm. for the house and the property taxes. And so the cash on cash return isn't quite as good as in some of these other small suburbs. Like we, I just bought a house. This is the cheapest house we bought. We bought a $200,000 house that like literally, I mean, that's a nothing down payment for us to get it. I'm instantly cash flowing three to $400 a, a month on it. And they actually rent out faster because that's kind of where the median price is for people. Mm -hmm. And then we have like a really nice $375,000 house. That's 3000 square feet. Beautiful out there. <coughs> that one has taken a lot longer to rent out. So the Austin market, I love for growth. Um, I think that it's, it'll be the, I mean, they call it the, 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 the other Silicon Valley, right? So they yeah. believe that all the tech people are going there. And I think that equity wise, it's a, it's a no brainer investment. I think if you buy a house there, the next five years, it'll be worth at least 20, 30% more than what it is. Um, but I'm always looking for things that are cash on cash return. And I think of equity as a, a icing on the cake, right? So yeah. I was, we were, I'm building the portfolio right now to protect us in a recession. So even if we hit a recession right now, those things are all cash flowing for me. So I don't give a shit if they lose 10% equity across the board, they're cash flowing. So I'm yeah. good, right? It's just like parking my money there. I'm there for the long haul for 10, 15 years. Now, granted, I did try and pick areas that I believe equity is going to be incredible. Like the Boise area last year got 13%. So Boise, if I get yeah, another 10% year, oh yeah. Right. So, I mean, if we do get equity and then we're also cash flowing, now we're really crushing, right? So yeah. that was kind of the strategy, but I love Austin, bro. And you're wholesaling? Yeah, I'm wholesaling uh, in uh, subject twos. Yep. So I mean, send stuff, send stuff my way. I okay, mean, we'll I mean, do. Throw me some, throw me, throw me some stuff that you like. I'll take a look at. I'll take a look at just about anything, dude. I look at probably a hundred plus properties a week right now. So takes awesome. a lot. Takes takes a lot of my time, but I I love it, dude. That's I really awesome. do. Live your passion. That's awesome. Thank you so much for today, dude. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Adam. Yeah. Good, good luck with the real estate, and I'm looking yep. forward to the next Mind Pub episode. And hey, we're about to. Uh, take your information that you gave today and grow as a podcast. So I appreciate it. We're going to help a lot of people. Hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you in the future. Yeah. yeah. Take care. Nice. Look at that. So if you guys want to find our guest today on Instagram, you can find him at mindpump Adam on Instagram. You can find Trevor at, at T chase powers on Instagram. And Dave, Dave is at Dave Shep consulting. Connor, mm. Connor Burton training on Instagram. And you can find me at Sarge Josh on Instagram. So, hey, guys, thanks for listening today. We love y'all. And we're out. Blue Car Fitness. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome.